Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing pretty well, getting uh, closer and closer to Halloween. Do you know what you're going to be for Halloween? No. No. I'm going to be gone, actually. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if the country that I will be in celebrates Halloween. So, mm. yeah. I'll just probably be me. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not sure, but... Uh... We, it's fun walking around here because there's a lot of rich people who give out full-size candy bars to kids and they go kind of all out. Uh, I do that too, though, just because I have access, I have a Costco card. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't have to be that rich, I guess, to give out full-size candy bars these days, but it used to be a big, big deal when I was a kid. Well, and the problem is we had this happen a few years ago is we didn't have a lot of kids come by and we didn't know this because of where Mm. we were living and we had bought all these full-size candy bars and that meant for the next couple months we had, we were just eating full-size candy bars all the time. (laughs) So gluttonous. Yeah. Like our, our weights just ballooned for the next couple months. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. I take some pride as an adult in getting at least one or two pieces of small candy. Uh, I don't have any children. Wait, you go so. trick-or-treating? Well, no, I mean, we walk around the neighborhood, and then it's possible that if someone isn't home, I will slightly, you know, go up and take one piece of candy and a slight, like... <laughs> you're, so you're, you're going trick-or-treating? A little bit of rebellion. I don't know. Is that rebellion? On the down low? A little bit. Like, I kind of, it's a little, bit, uh, a little bit naughty in some way. I don't know. I'm not all right. taking all the candy. I'm just taking one piece. Yeah, and then you TP the neighbor's house. Nah, I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, anyways. So this concludes our Halloween episode. Our Halloween episode. <laughs> we have, we have uh, just like all the other TV shows and other, you know, media that are doing Halloween stuff. Um, but this week, I wanted to... So try- what are you drinking? Oh, oh, oh sorry. I skipped yeah, over. Yeah, oh, what are you I'm drinking sorry. tonight? No, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You, you got all excited with your candy corns and whatnot, and uh, yeah, you skipped right over. So it is very dark, dark red. The color of blood. It is port. I'm drinking uh, some uh, some port tonight. All right. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I am drinking a Martinez. Mm. Um, I, I believe I've already had this once before, but you know we're like what like 76 episodes in. So yeah, we'll have to check the spreadsheet. There's a couple of uh, repeats, but I uh, I think we've been doing pretty well. But yeah, the spreadsheet does have all that information. You better than I. Which we really should put in the like the sidebar of the Reddit or something. I'll add I'll add it to the website. If, is right. it on the website yet? No, I'm we're keeping sure. it pretty updated now. You're doing a good job there. So yeah, it's up to date. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah, I'm having a Martinez. It's a, a nice little kind of martini variation, I guess. Oh, uh, like I'm, I did last week. I'm using yeah yeah exactly. Uh, I'm using the uh, the Anchor Old Tom Jim uh, Gin, which is uh, a really really delicious uh, Old Tom. Uh, style like pre-prohibition gin mm-hmm. uh and yeah yeah it's quite nice wait what's a, the twist on it though what do i don't mean? know the. oh what's inside it yeah um so it has a uh, sweet vermouth um oh, old, sweet vermouth. old tom gin uh a little bit of maraschino oh. and then the the really the to really seal it um from the recipe in the pdt book i use boker's bitters uh, mm. I had to special order them, uh, and they have a, they're they a very, very different sort of almost floral flavor to them, uh, and it really, really ties the room together, Caleb. Oh, also, uh, pretty recently, I was I, we talked about this place a lot, Death & Company, because we have their book. Oh, I got yeah. to go to the Death & Company bar in New oh, York City. I'm so jealous. It was, have you been there? I have not, no. So it's it's very discreet. Uh, there's no sign. It's just sort of on the ground and on the door. Well, yeah, and it's, pro, it's a speakeasy. It's Caleb. a speakeasy, yes. No, th- but they keep it up. Like, and But it's not like PDT. You don't, you don't go through the phone booth, right? No, no, no. It, there's okay. just a, there's a dude standing outside and he has an iPad, so it's modern. And <laughs> one way they keep it from having a line to not draw more sort of uh, conspicuousness is that they take your phone number and like a restaurant, they'll text you. But it was funny because I walked up and I was like, oh, cool. Can I go in? He's like, um, yeah, how many people are in your party? And I was like, three. He's like, okay, um, there's uh, 13 parties ahead of you. <laughs> and it was like 645. It had just opened or was about to open. I was like, okay, I'll put my name down. So about an hour and a half later, got texted, got to go in. And there's maybe 30 seats. It's very small. Like the bar is maybe 12 or 14 feet long. Uh, it's super dark, like fully you look dark. like you were in the galley of a ship. Yeah, it's very, very dark. There's only candlelight uh, pretty much. And the the menu, they, I would honestly say I only got maybe, I only knew 30% of the ingredients in any drink. <laughs> there were so many words, I didn't know what it was, but it was just like a candy store. I was just so excited. So we we were three people. We had two, uh, one, uh, two rounds. So I got to taste six different drinks. And I would definitely say they were the best drinks I've ever 
ever tasted. Uh, so, so jealous. You've, you've made the pilgrimage to Mecca. I'm but very jealous. I did bring you a souvenir, which I haven't given you yet, but it's a, a, a coaster. Oh. So I, brought, I, I got home some Death & Company coasters, so I'm going to give it to you next time I see you in person. I'm very excited about this. I'll take a photo. I'll put it on the, on the, the Twitters for, uh, <laughs> for this episode. All right. So what, are, so what would you like to talk about this episode? Well, I just want to uh, bring a little bit of clarity uh, to what I think has been wildly manipulated in the press, uh, especially the automotive press, and that is the automotive levels for autonomy and especially level four and level five because almost every major automaker has come out and said they have plans to make fully self-driving cars by some timeline which we'll talk about and (laughs) i don't think they're all being completely honest about what that means because they're being aspirational they're both being aspirational and i think they're preying upon the fact that most people when they hear self-driving car Imagine a car that pulls up with no one in it. They get in it, not in the driver's seat, not expected to have a license, get in the back, and it whisks them away somewhere very safely, very quietly, and they get to their destination, and they get out, and the car moves away. That's what they imagine self-driving cars are. Yeah, Johnny Cab. Yes, Johnny Cab. But I do not believe that is what most automakers have currently at their target timeline and so i wanted to a bit of an impedance mismatch here definitely and i wanted to unpack that because when someone says they're working on a self-driving car you then have to ask a lot of questions to find out what that actually means and so i wanted to sort of pull away some of the bs a little bit and talk through what what really is meant by some of these terms what the sort of engineering terms are what the car companies are saying and then what our belief is how this will actually play out because i have some very particular beliefs about how this play should play out i think you have some strong beliefs about how it should play out so this will be it's also interesting how it also coincides with the switch of power mechanisms too from fossil fuels to electronics and there's also a transition there happening in the same time frame so it's it's yeah lots of flux here so to begin with let's go over some of the claims from the major automakers and we'll end with tesla of when they will have something related to self-driving. So, All right. first, General Motors, quote, we expect to be the first high-volume auto manufacturer to build fully autonomous vehicles in a mass production assembly plant. Okay, that seems pretty unambiguous. Okay. And they've, they've acquired Cruise, right? They have they, acquired Cruise. And the Cadillac uh, is coming out now with some pretty advanced features. Yes, with Super okay. Cruise. Are you doing a breath first here? Or, yes, we'll do okay. a breath first. All right, I'm yes. sorry. I'll stop diving no, in. No, 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 no. No, right, that's continue. good. Perfect. Ford, by 2021, <laughs> they hope to have a, quote, high volume, fully autonomous car working, for commercial, working commercially by offering a ride hailing or ride sharing service. Oh, so they're specifically calling out the ownership model as well. Yes. And so they plan to have level four vehicle in 2021 with no gas pedal, no steering wheel, and the passenger will never need to take control of the vehicle in a predefined area. Okay. Well, can you call it a gas pedal if it's not a fossil fuel powered vehicle? That could be a trick. Yes, okay. they could be tricking us. Um, so 2021 for Ford. <laughs> you have for to drive it yourself, but it doesn't have a gas pedal. Right. It yes. has an accelerator. It has an accelerator. Sorry, guys. No gas pedal, but it's still Lawyered. an accelerator. Honda. Honda's long-stated goal is to have cars that can at least drive themselves on highways by 2020. So okay. not, qu- not quite as ambitious. Not quite as ambitious. Okay, that's Toyota. kind of the, the 1960s World's Fair model where right. you, you get on the, the magnetic. And, yeah, yeah, and you put the punch card in and your car takes you to your destination. Then you, you take over at the off-ramp. Yeah, so 70 years later, that's still their goal. Um, okay. Toyota, highway self-driving by 2020. Nissan. And self-driving, like, under control, though, not just the uh, stuck accelerator Toyota self-driving. Hopefully, okay. hopefully, yes. All right, all right. Hopefully, you know, avoiding and, and things like that. Nissan, okay. Renault Nissan, 2020 autonomous vehicles in urban conditions. Oh. 2025 for truly driverless cars. Okay, so they're specifically calling out urban conditions and not highways. Yes. Okay. Volvo. Volvo CEO, and I quote, it's our, it's our ambition to have a car that can fully drive autonomously on the highway by 2021. Okay. Hyundai, we are targeting for the highway in 2020 and urban driving in 2030. Oh, that's a big jump. 
Yes, 10 years difference between highway to urban. BMW, highly and fully automated driving in series production by 2021. So they're compounding it by saying highly and fully at the same time, but 2021. Are they going to have to change their motto to the ultimate self-driving machine? Yeah, I mean, the driving, in that case, you know, it's still the ultimate driving machine for the AI, potentially. Yeah, but who cares if the AI is having fun? Yeah, and then Tesla, 2019 to 2020 for fully self-driving. Wait, 20, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, so let's do a little compare and contrast. Tesla also said they're going to drive coast to coast by the end of this year, though, right? That's a demonstration, but that wasn't people. That wasn't consumers. So proof of concept. We'll we'll dig more in the Tesla, obviously, but I I'm sensing some themes. Are you sensing some? What are some common points that you feel like have come out of what the major automakers have said? There's, well, certainly 2020 and 2021 seems yeah. to be a like just far enough in the future where we can talk about it and you know people will forget about it by the time we get there. Yes, number it's like, one, it's like the sort of five year plan, right? Like it's it's you know in a, real soon now this will happen. Yeah, that's uh, exactly that's like. It's oddly similar and uh, oddly specific of 2020 to 2021. I mean, I I give some kudos for Hyundai to say 2030. I mean, (laughs) calling out 2030 in the 2017 is pretty pretty ambitious but good maybe for they went first man everyone else like kind of riffed on like i would like to see the order of these announcements because yeah, i would true. imagine I they were, no one actually probably went later than the previous announcement but um yeah the other thing i noticed is there's a lot of uh talk on highways uh of that yeah. sort of like far more controlled uh environment and and actually also a a um, use case that you can easily pitch to people where you can imagine driving your car around, getting onto the highway, pushing a button. And then like, you know, seven hours later, when you're done your drive, if you're on like a long road trip, then you take over again. And, and that seems like a, a story that you can easily comprehend and sell to people. Yes. And then the other thing I noticed is that GM and Ford are the most specific about manufacturing fully self-driving vehicles for ride sharing where the others didn't mention that specifically. And both <laughs> well, that's, of them... That's kind of an existential problem for them. Well, and both of them have made either acquisitions in the case of GM with Cruise or Ford, a major controlling stake interest in Argo AI, which is they did like a, a billion dollar investment, which well, is Ford, basically... Ford also got a chariot and the bike share yeah. too. So they're, they're approaching it from all angles. Yeah, so both of them have their own owned technology and like legitimate, super strong AI and uh, roboticists on staff, where some of the others seem to be relying more on um, uh, suppliers. Like right. Mobileye it's like, are you a, a car company or are you a transportation company that at the moment happens to sell cars, but will be going wherever transportation goes? Yeah, so... I think all of these companies say they are working on self-driving cars and will have something in sort of the 2020s. But already we have teased out that they are already making distinctions between ride sharing and owned, highway and urban, and uh, some, you know, set of combinations thereof. So already in their public statements, if you were just to read their public statements, none of the car companies agree on a timeline or a full use case for when full self-driving will happen commercially. So I think that's important that if anyone's like, oh yeah, self-driving cars are coming in 2020. um, It's not as if every car available on every lot will have full self-driving. So people need to temper that. Even if it's possible that one car is fully self-driving in 2020, that doesn't mean all of the cars will be. And I don't think our audience believes that, but I think... If you were to listen to the local news, it's possible you might be led to believe that's possible. Do you think there's, there might be uh, some sort of Osborne effect, too, as we get closer and closer to the day where these self-driving vehicles are coming online? Like, is our sales of regular vehicles going to uh, plummet somewhat, where if you don't desperately need a vehicle, you might as well wait that extra year because the they've promised that the 2020 model is going to drive itself? I don't think so, because apparently most of the uh, studies that are being done on regular consumers and car buyers indicate that most people are not interested in owning a self-driving car, and they're dubious that a self-driving car would be safer or better driver than them. So so much of like car ownership and car driving and our whole car culture is based upon people 
employing some cognitive dissonance around the actual statistical risks, then yeah, it's going to be hard to break that. Yeah. So I think that actually plays in the favor of continued car purchase, purchasing, um, that it, it's not as if a lot of people are waiting to buy a car until it's fully self-driving, except for potentially Tesla, uh, people interested in Tesla, which we'll get to. So, all right. So again, why are all these car companies talking about this? Um, I don't think they're doing it because they necessarily think they're going to sell more cars doing it. I think it's because one, they believe it is the future, which is almost crazy to say, like, it just seems so obvious to us. But I think until like the past four or five years, I don't think it's been obvious to the major car makers that uh, the majority of their cars, you know, probably in 50 years will not be driven by humans. I think that's like it's just now really fully ingrained, at least in their public communications, whether whether or not they fully believe it. Uh, I think they certainly publicly are talking about this. And the primary uh, reason that gets brought out for this is that there are 1.2 million deaths worldwide caused by crashes, vehicle crashes, um, and that 94 percent of those crashes in the U.S. at least involve human error. And so that those two combined would indicate that if you were to eliminate the human error from the crashes, you would be able to eliminate the majority, the vast majority of the potential deaths. Yeah. Uh, And most disturbingly, it's actually been increasing lately, too, uh, which they believe is related to the ubiquity of smartphones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the amount of people who are doing more in their car than they used to and being more distracted. I mean, I see it every oh. single day I'm driving. So. Yeah, I, I ride a bus on 101 here. And when I'm looking out the window, if I'm not Oh, and working, you're elevated too. Yeah, so you I can, can see, see and everyone is, is on like trying to multitask and like using a phone and steering with their knees. And it's, yeah, it seems like a, a very dangerous place. And then some of the uh, sort of increasing access to transportation and the broader concept of mobility, which I still don't really love the concept, the word mobility, but it seems to be the buzzword. So <laughs> it seems to seems to say you're going to get a jetpack, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Why can't we just say transportation? But I guess mo- I don't know. Somehow personal mobility is what they like to say. So anyways, well, you we'll don't say, want people to think they're going to have an efficient train. Caleb. This is America. You can, I know. <laughs> it's just crazy. Anyway, so apparently 3 million Americans over the age of 40 are uh, low vision or blind. So, so those folks do not have access to personal transportation that they can, you know, they can't drive, they can't get licenses. Uh, and that around 80% of seniors age 65 and older live in car dependent communities. So even if they live in a um, place like the villages in Florida <laughs> or here in San Jose, they still generally have to have a car, which even in a constrained environment can really affect how they live their life. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and as someone who my in-laws live in the villages in Florida, so I've, I have some experience with this and uh, a lot of the driving has been pushed to golf carts uh, and they have right. a separate road system for golf carts. But the amount of like signs and guide guide roll guide rails and stuff that have been knocked down by the like i mean i think it's because they're drunk most of the time but they're also have like (laughs) diminished reflexes and vision yeah and yeah it's it's just yeah it's 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 terrible so for tesla um to dig into their claims a bit more so the 2019 to 2020 where does that come from so the best uh, case for this is from the TED talk that Elon gave or the TED discussion he had with Chris Anderson uh, in April of 2017. So he was asked, uh, and I quote from Chris Anderson from the transcript. So leaving aside regulation for a second, in terms of the technology alone, the time when someone will be able to buy one of your cars and literally just take the hands off the wheel and go to sleep and wake up and find that they've arrived. How far away is that? To do that safely. And then Elon Wait, responds. Doesn't Chris Anderson have a British accent? I'm not gonna do that. Nah, okay. He does. Then Elon responds, I think that's about two years. So the real trick of it is not how do you make it work, say, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, because like if a car crashes one in a thousand times, then you're probably still going to be uncomfortable falling asleep. Um so he <laughs> uh good good point there, Elon. Um but he says about two years. Um, 
And that was from April 2017. So that is why I pegged it at 2019 to 2020. Um, so even people who have who are paying for full self-driving today with Teslas should not be expecting anything close to that until 2019 or 2020, in my view. Wait, so and, and was he talking about uh, like full like point to point or just like sleeping on the highway for the like majority of your of your thing and then waking up and piloting from there? So, I mean, the question was when you take your hands off the wheel and fall asleep and find out that you've arrived. Okay, so kind of like the the Uber model. I think that's the full, full thing. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a car service comes and picks you up and you just, you're just a passenger the whole time. Yes. Okay. And then he was on the call for autopilot asked about their, um, about sort of what the capabilities were. And he said that the autopilot two hardware, which we talked about in last episode, uh, that's coming off on all the cars will be have the hardware necessary for level five autonomy. So that's in terms of the cameras, compute power. It's in every car we make. Uh, it's shipping now with level five, literally meaning hardware capable, full self driving for driver less capability. Okay, so level five that means I just say I'm at home. I want to go to the movie theater downtown. The car, I just get in the car and it just drives me and I could be in the backseat the whole time and I get out and the car just leaves afterwards. Yes. Okay. And I think the fact that he called out driverless is really critical because very few of the companies we talked about mentioned driverless because it is possible to offer a vehicle that still would require a driver, a safety driver, or even just a driver at all. Um, and when you, when you make the claim that there's no driver, it means it could drive with, you know, completely empty. Um, well, so not no driver, it's just less driver. Sorry. No human, <laughs> no human. Necessary. No, I just think it's funny that the driver less could mean like, you know, you oh, just yeah. do less of the driving. Like, <laughs> yes. A less capable driver. Sans driver. <laughs> yes. Um, and that they still feel, you know, that they're going to do this demonstration, which you mentioned from New York to LA or sorry, reverse that, uh, the Los Cannonball Angeles run. to New York. Yeah. No, wait, and I thought it was east to west, no? No, it's west to east, oh. L.A. to New York. Oh, I thought it was the other way. Well, he's mentioning L.A. to New York. Um, so, so that's what Tesla says. So let's get into what these levels mean okay. uh, to be more precise. So first off, there used to be two sets of levels, which was confusing. Uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, had their own, and then SAE, which stands for the Society of Automotive Engineers, uh, which is like this trade group of engineers, which used to basically, uh, they put out guidelines on how to measure horsepower <laughs> so that cars okay. would comparable, like have comparable horsepower numbers. How weird is it too that we still measure cars based on horses, like the previous mode of transportation? Yeah, I, um, yeah, we should really be doing it on Newton meters, like newtons but anyways um <laughs> anyways the uh yes yeah, so so sae luckily in 2016 uh, nitsa adopted the sae standards so we're we can all just talk about one standard now which is this sae so if you hear levels you're almost always hearing these sae standards and so basically it everyone in the automotive industry has just agreed that this is what it means and now the regulatory bodies are also agreeing this is what it means um, so this is sort of the best you can get for what different levels mean. So the document that outlines this is J3016, <laughs> Taxonomy and Definitions for Terms Related to On-Road Motor Vehicle Automated Driving Systems. That sounds like a, a, a gripping read. It is. And if you are to dig in, it identifies six levels of driving automation from no automation to full automation. As a, as um, a software developer, I appreciate the zero. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> the zero counting, yeah. Yes, it was built by engineers. Zero so, to five. Um, zero to five. So we'll go through these, but there are really three buckets and two that matter. Uh, so zero, no automation. So this means the full-time performance by the human driver of all aspects of the dry dynamic driving task, even when enhanced by warning or intervention systems. So Okay, so that's like the Model T, basically. From the Model T up to like my Volkswagen is level zero. Yes. Okay. 
Yes. Well, yours might actually be level one. So level one, driver assistance. The driving mode specific execution by a driver assistance system or either steering or acceleration deceleration using information about the driving environment and with the expectation that the human driver performs all remaining aspects of the dynamic driving task. So, layman's, this allows cruise control, but you can everything else has to be handled by the driver like a uh, traction control like anti-lock brakes is that apparently those are not considered part of the dynamic driving task because those are like spurt like uh, sporadic okay. um so they exclude things like traction control from their levels all right um, because those are not things that the human driver would necessarily take like do anyways that's more so of a, an acute condition rather acute, than a chronic yeah, like, yeah exactly it's okay. an acute thing versus chronic so so one would just be basic driver assistance like just dumb auto um cr- dumb cruise control um is really the only cars that would have level one okay so wow we've already gone two levels just with cruise control mm-hmm. hmm, fascinating all right so i have a level one vehicle yes okay <laughs> now level two this is where tesla autopilot lives partial automation the driving mode specific, sorry, the driving mode specific execution by one or more driver assistance systems of both steering and acceleration deceleration using information about the driving environment and with the expectation that the human driver performs all remaining aspects of the dynamic driving task. Okay, so this is like lane keeping assist kind of thing? Well, no, it says steering and acceleration. So this is what autopilot does, where it actually combines the adaptive cruise control and the lane keeping. Okay. That it's those both being combined is what makes it level two. Okay. But the human is in the loop all the time. Okay, and you it's like com- it's active too. So it's not just like if the thing buzzes when it detects that you're going off yes, of the lane, yes. that doesn't count. That's still level one. Yes, okay. exactly. So the majority of cars that are sold today are level one. Okay. Even if they have lane keep assist or adaptive cruise control, because that's only one version of the automation. When you get to steering and acceleration, then you get to partial automation, which is level two. So, okay, so when, Super when, Cruise. When we did the yeah. test drive of the Model X and it had the hardware one and it was driving down the highway, that was level two. Level two. Okay. Yes. So that's really everything that's on the road. And level three, okay, I won't, I won't editorialize yet. No, level well, maybe three. not everything on the road around here. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. There could be some other roads. Uh, level three, conditional automation. The driving mode specific performance by an automated driving system of all aspects of the dynamic driving task with the expectation that the human driver will respond appropriately to a request to intervene. Okay. So this is the. Uh self-driving uh, with the sort of immediate abort mode where you might have to take over and you have to be watching the whole time yes okay this is the but, the area that that waymo said was a no-go yes this is what <laughs> if, they I, if say i may drop a, a rhyme yes so this is very strange to me because it doesn't say anything about the um like the driving domain of where this happens So it's basically assuming it could work everywhere, which people who are claiming to be level three today tend to only work on the highway, which would indicate that that's not actually level three. So that makes me a little concerned slash frustrated because this says of all aspects of the dynamic driving task, and it has no no carve out for a particular location. Um, Okay, so you can't say like, the conditional automation, like by this definition, it, it's not conditional upon like availability of maps. Yeah, that's what this doesn't. Yeah. Or like only on highway. It doesn't it doesn't say that's possible. That would only be level two, which is acceleration, deceleration, and you're still monitoring everything. OK, so it's really which kind I, of leveling it in terms of the vehicle, but not the context that the vehicle might be in. That's what that's how I interpret this. And I know other people interpret it differently, but the actual text of the standard does not have anything about, um, you know, a call out for being able to scope it to a particular location. Okay. Okay. Level four, high automation, the driving mode specific performance by an automated driving system of all aspects of the dynamic driving task, even if a human driver does not respond appropriately to a request to intervene. (laughs) Because the driver's high. Yeah, or the driver has become <laughs> incapacitated or some other reason. Yeah, I was, I was doing the high automation thing. High automation, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, uh, 
sad trombone for my joke right there yes okay so so this is pretty this is when it starts to get interesting yeah um because if the human driver does not respond is sort of when this is coming into place um so is this like if the human driver does not respond then the car just knows how to pull itself over and stop or that it just doesn't matter and the car is going to keep going so this is that it would need to pull over. Okay, so it has a, a it, do, it has it, a fail safe oper, like fail operational. Okay, so it's not mode. guaranteed to get you from point A to point B, but no. if it has a problem along the way, it knows how to at least safely abort the mission, basically. Yes. Okay. And this one is scoped to some driving modes, which we'll talk about what those mean. Okay. But yeah. And then five, the holy grail, is the full time performance by an automated driving system of all aspects of the dynamic driving task under all roadway and environmental conditions that could be managed by a human driver. Okay, so that's just everything. Everything, everywhere that a human could do. Okay. That's an easy one to understand. Yes. It's it's the gradients in between that are challenging. Yeah, so some definitions from the document. Dynamic driving task, which we've mentioned in the like level three, level four, level five, includes operational steering, braking, accelerating, monitoring the vehicle and roadway. And the tactical, responding to events, determining when to change lanes, turn, use turn signals, and aspects of the driving task, but not the strategic, determining destinations and waypoints. So they're basically saying you, a level four, three, four, five doesn't have to figure out like where you want to go. Um, like you don't, it doesn't, it's not going to like automatically intuit where you should go, mm-hmm. which is, makes sense. But everything about getting you there from the like micro interactions of staying in the lane and accelerating to changing lanes and using turn signals. It needs to be, that's like what the dynamic driving task is. But how do you square like the tactical needing to determining when to change lanes and turn versus like the strategic with the destinations waypoints? Like how do you know that you need to turn somewhere if you're, if it's not strategic? Well, I think the, the, the big point is that the it's, it's just trying to make it clear that it's not going to like guess where you want to end up, like what destination you have, which seems silly to call out. But yeah, I, I, I just sort of believe that's what it's saying. Like it's going to take you there. So you have a it's route. Not, it's, so it's going to follow a route. Yeah, but it's not. It's not like going to like guess where you want to go based on looking at your calendar or something. Like it, it's not required <laughs> to do that. That seems odd to call out. It seems odd to call out. Yeah. I agree. Is it, but I mean, or does it mean like it's not going to do the recalculating? Recalculating. Like, is it not going to recalculate your route? Or I, That seems strange. I mean, determining the destination, like that's from the human, would tell it where it wants to go. <laughs> so this means that it's not going to be a fully generalized AI that, that, yeah, that I think has that, free will? Okay. Yeah, I don't think it has free will. Okay. I think that, that's it. That's, that seems fair. So the, the, the big sort of call-outs here are like in level three, uh, the system will monitor the driving environment, but fallback in case of some failure or like problem with the darn the dynamic driving task like it doesn't know how to cross like change lanes or something's wrong it falls back to the human where in level four and level five it falls back to the system okay so this is like the kind of the immediate buzzing and you have to take over immediately yeah this is an immediate handoff problem okay and level two has that immediate handoff as well to the human but the monitoring of the driving environment in level two is for the human. And in level three, you cross over where you say the system is required for monitoring. Okay, so that mean this like- is that uncanny va- valley problem where if the system is required to monitor the environment but can hand back to the human, there's no indication here how much time they have to give <laughs> to allow the human to take over. Yeah, this seems and like this the worst, where- worst of both worlds here. Yeah. And so this is where folks like Waymo and Alex Roy, who's an automotive journalist and others, uh, believe this is a major handoff problem. Um, And apparently when Google was starting working on the self-driving car project and they started working on the highway uh, driving problem and they got a few years in and started giving it to people to test in, in the company, people would start getting way too comfortable with it because it it did everything on the highway. You didn't have to touch the steering wheel or anything and it would change lanes and, you know, take you to the right general direction. And so people really 
started like reading and eating and moving into the back of the seat to go get laptops and stuff. And they started to get very concerned that um, it wasn't quite good enough to drive everywhere, but people were trusting it as if it was completely fine. And they were very concerned that this level three type system would potentially cause uh, a new class of uh, problem where if the system were to freak out and need the human's attention, the human would not be oriented well enough to take over. And so they decided that they wanted to pursue a full level four, level five, where the system is responsible and the human does not need to, once the system's fully you know, verified, the human doesn't have to do anything. Right. Which, I mean, that makes complete sense. I mean, look at all the increase, like statistically, the increase in accidents just from people like looking down at their cell phones and texting and just briefly taking their eyes off the road. And, you know, because your car is moving so fast, you you're completely, you know, you're getting more accidents. And if you actually can hand over the piloting of the vehicle to the system, uh, it just seems inevitable that this is going to lead to far more accidents. Right. And this is what Alex Roy, who has his own podcast, and I really think he's pretty smart about this stuff. One of the things he said, and I quote, is the flaw in semi-autonomous driving, which I would consider level three and like level three, essentially. The flaw in semi-autonomous driving is inherent. It temporarily substitutes rather than comprehensively assists. The more it improves, the human skills decline. Even as it improves, every failure is attributed to technology rather than the human ignorance of it. Its perceived limitations discourage rather than encourage adoption of any form of automation, including future iterations. Decreasingly skilled drivers will need most, like level four. So basically, he's just saying that as if if level three is widely distributed, people's skills will atrophy faster than the technology might necessarily improve in their own vehicles. And so while they're getting worse at driving, they become more required to be excellent drivers when the system needs their help. And that will cause the most sort of damage. Right. It's like not even like you have to just slowly keep the car in the context that you're in. So you have to switch context and then take over like some sort of like emergency fighter pilot or something. And most people can't even handle piloting their vehicle safely uh, on normal circumstances. They certainly aren't going to be able to handle that. And yeah, exactly. And, And the reason this system would fail would mean that something weird has happened, which means you have to assess the situation and be able to understand why the system is is unable to deal with it because in normal circumstances this system should have been able to deal with that system right and you're not going to have occurrence and you're not going to have any context like normally you're driving down the road right and you know oh wait a minute there's a i know that there's a truck to the right of me i know a motorcycle is kind of in the left of me in my blind spot and you're just like constantly aware of your surroundings and now all of a sudden you're going to have to snap out from the you know snap up from your kindle and all of a sudden Instead of being like, you know, in the middle of a sci-fi novel, you're all of a sudden hurtling down the highway and you have to instantly make a decision as to which way you turn. And it's, yeah, it seems like a a really kind of horrible version of the trolley problem where it's like you have to, you have to make a decision as to what you're going to hurt or or damage and you actually have no context. Yes. So Waymo, as we talked about, is going after level four and five and one of the things that they recently came out with a safety report that I found really, uh, it's pretty much the most comprehensive any automaker, well, they're not an automaker, but any automaker <laughs> or developer of self-driving type technologies has come out with um, about what they do to test and simulation and a lot of things we've talked about, they touched on. But one thing they described was their description of what level four means. So in self-driving jargon, Waymo's self-driving system is designed to perform the entire dynamic driving task. We've heard that word, key phrase, before. Within a a geographic area and under certain uh, predefined conditions without the need for a human driver. This type of technology falls under the SAE International's definition of a level four automated driving system because our system also has the ability to bring a vehicle to a safe stop. And then unlike autonomous systems at lower levels, one, two, and three, a level four system also has the ability to bring a vehicle to a safe stop, achieve a minimal risk condition in the event of a system failure without any expectation of a human driver takeover. So that's, if, if you really want to, you know, cut it down to something, 
once you cross into level four, even if it's limited in its scope of where it can drive, the human is not required to do anything for driving safely. And if the system freaks out or the brakes go or something breaks, the car is expected to be able to safely come to a safe stop. It can pull over. Um, Yeah. And I think this is probably, well, I I think one one thing I want to talk on is the level four, level five distinction, because I think it's almost irrelevant and waste unnecessary to talk about level five. Yeah. Because level five is this sort of unattainable place, at least for like, I don't know, deck. I mean, in my mind, it's like decades and decades of any location, any, any like condition that a human could drive in. So any place on earth where a human is able to drive, this vehicle would be able to do it. And that is so unconstrained that it is basically irrelevant to describe now because we're so far from that. <laughs> so level five is like this upper limit of, I mean, I suppose there's a, a place you could say that would be better than what a human driver could do. Like, sorry, like uh, it, it's a task that a human driver could not drive in, but there's very few of those that exist. So yeah. To my mind, level five is almost irrelevant to talk about. And level four is the only one that has any relevance in the next couple decades. Yeah, I mean, I would even go so far as to say level three doesn't matter either. I think that anything below level four is the same thing. So essentially, you know, if it's just, you know, it just might do occasional overrides to keep you maybe. okay. so maybe there's like a level zero. There's a level where you have some sort of like overrides where it can keep you from being an idiot or take over or you know give you faster reflexes or whatever kind of the anti-lock break like collision avoidance kind of systems level three just should be abolished and then there should be level four uh where the car is driving itself and then like you say like level five as it's defined is really just sort of like a like nirvana end state where it's like you know okay like it's just continual improvements on level four Right. I agree. And so I think that what's interesting is Tesla's autopilot in level two, I think it could still get so. So this is now when we're moving into like how I think things will, at least how I think things will play out. I'm curious what you think, but I think level two has a ton of headroom actually. So there's no limitation on what the acceleration and like um, steering could do. So no system limitation. Uh, yeah, not, no system human, limitation in level not two. Human limitations, though. Right. Like human yeah, interpretation. So if it, well, if a, if a human is still required to monitor, there's like, if you, I could I could still imagine that everything that Tesla's talked about for what enhanced autopilot wants to do could still easily fall under level two, and you're still going to be monitoring it, and you're required to monitor it, and so it's just an assistance. It's not fully automated where you're supposed to be able to read a book or watch a movie. Um, and even on the highway, autopilot requires you to be paying attention. Um, even if people don't do it, having had experience with it, I think you certainly will want to because you know it can just freak out and need your attention. Right, but I mean, and the, the fact car that, needs it, people's attention now and people still turn their attention away. Right, so that's why I think, I don't think it's, I don't think level two is necessarily more dangerous because if if i i just i just don't really buy that people will be so much worse at paying attention and if they are not paying attention i would rather have some guardrail of it trying to stay in the lane and stay straight at some level and not hit the car in front of it like <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah i just having that on is at least better than them looking down at their phone while they're driving unaided on the highway true 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 but i mean i think that everyone is told that you have to pay attention 100 percent of the time right now because you know you're piloting a two-ton vehicle flying down the road at 60 miles an hour like but they don't yeah, and they don't so, already so now if you but, tell but them that it. like they can they can, the car will drive itself for a little while then i i feel like they're going to completely check out so wait then you think even autopilot is too much i mean i think it's I think it's dangerous. I think it's a it's a way station along where we want to get to, but it does seem, uh, given human nature, it seems dangerous. Like I feel like 
it's difficult to pay attention. Like even when you're driving, you start to get hypnotized. It's it's kind of difficult to pay attention constantly. And now you're saying like, well, I can stop paying attention for a little while. Like I, I feel like just human nature being what it is, people are going to fully stop paying attention. They might not necessarily hmm. say that's what I'm doing, but they're going to do it. Yeah. So what I think is going to happen is for traditional automakers, they will continue to add in things like autopilot type functionality that come up from the guise of advanced like driver assistance features. Uh, um, even Super Cruise now coming out from GM, they claim it's level three because it's hands off and it will give you some warning when you need to take control. But I don't, I mean, I haven't driven it yet, but I still don't understand how they really would make the claim that it can handle any kind of circumstance that would happen on the highway without the human being involved. I just, right. something, something crazy like rolling off the back of a truck, I do not believe is going to be able to actively swerve into the next lane because it doesn't change lanes. So how is it going to avoid hitting that uh, without having a human intervene? So anyways, I think even, I think those are all just level two. And then being able to say, oh, well, we're going to exit the highway to another, like exit uh, the inner, the, um, like uh, switch highways from one highway to another. That's still level two, just sort of doing some slightly different steering in my mind. And that's still just like more extended autopilot type functionality. So I think that's all fine. I think once you start getting into any sort of city uh, levels where it's going to break at like stop signs and stoplights, that's going to be intriguing to see what happens because I think that's still going to come in these level two systems with Tesla, but I don't think it's going to be taking like a right turn at a, a stop sign. <laughs> I, I, could, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think they will put that in there like basic level two kind of understanding where you have to pay attention. I, I, I just really don't think they're going to do that. I think that will be reserved for their level four style where you don't have to be paying attention. Do you think they're going to make a hard distinction between that or are they just going? Yes. I think that will be the difference between the full self-driving software limitation and the, the enhanced autopilot. I think enhanced autopilot stays in this level two level world mm -hmm. and the full self-driving would be that you don't have to take over. Uh, and that would be the level four hmm. plus. Now, do you think that there's a difference between how these things are interpreted? Uh, we've been talking about passenger vehicles that you own yourself, but do you think there's any, like how these levels, do these levels still apply in the same way to either like transportation, like the the Tesla semi, like, you know, cargo uh, right, or right. like uh, ride sharing systems where like, you know, kind of what, what Uber has been going for? Yeah, so I think that um, one like really important thing is this idea of the operational design domain. So level four allows the automaker or the designer of the system to carve out an operational design domain that is what level four is allowed to go in. So as we said, the thing that separates level four from level five is it is not all weather conditions and all locations. So you then have to define, well, where does it operate? And that's then level four, because if it's not in that area, it's not anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have to work at all. So Waymo's definition, I think, is very clear. So they define the operational design domain. A description of the specific operating conditions in which a self-driving system is designed to properly operate, including but not limited to roadway types, speed, range, environmental conditions, aka weather, daytime, nighttime, etc., and other domain constraints. So what I think most people do not fully understand is a level four system could be allowed and like theoretically fine to someone to say, we have a level four car. It drives on this one mile stretch of highway in Tempe, Arizona <laughs> between exit five and exit four. And that's it. When you're in those areas between exit four and five, woo, boy, you don't have to pay attention. You don't even need to be in the car. The car will drive itself. Totally good. Can do anything. Oh, also only between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. in October. And it has to be fully 72 degrees and partially sunny. Any other condition, 
It doesn't work. That sounds like that might Fully be okay not for work. Tempe, but yeah. But that is like acceptable, defined definition of what the driving task would be for that space. And so what that means is there are going to be many, many companies that are very, very specific about where the car can drive, what times of day, uh, at what speeds, what type of vehicle. And so to your question, I absolutely think there will be certain parts of the highway system in the U.S. that certain vehicles claim to or are level four. They do not need a driver and they work if it's, you know, day and night, but not snowy or rainy. Do you think that like, and the interstate, that's the interstate highway is being so standardized that they might push to say the entire interstate highway system before bringing that online or is it just that you're saying like this is possible i think it's possible i i guess i just think so for tesla in particular i think they will pick i think they will demonstrate it on certain areas of the highway system and then their own trucks like their semis will operate from uh major suppliers of theirs and that's it level four like they will, they will just map those areas, test those areas, and self-certify that they're fine in those areas. And those trucks will not be allowed. They'll be geofenced. They will not be allowed to go in other places without a driver. And then when they get close to the city and they need to drive into Fremont, a driver will need to get in the vehicle for a very long time. And this is what folks like uh, Voyage, which is a, a new self-driving car company, um, they have a level four car. But they're focusing on retirement communities to begin with. And they have one here in San Jose that is their first called The Villages. And it only works inside this uh, community and uh, only at like 25 miles per hour and probably only during the day and uh, maybe some nighttime. Uh, And we'll try and get Oliver from the CEO on the show at some point soon. (laughs) Talk more about it. But like you can define it in the same way that Cruise is defined in San Francisco and Scottsdale and G and um, in Michigan where GM is based. And there are certain parts where in San Francisco, they can't go. They can't go on the highway down to Palo Alto uh, because it's not designed for that. And so this is how it's actually going to happen. You're going to have ride sharing and these very specific applications that are in certain cities and certain towns or certain uh, like college campuses or, or retirement communities, and they will be level four. And they will be fully self-driving without a human in them very soon. Uh, sorry, without a human driver. They'll be <laughs> maybe without a human too. They could be doing deliveries. Yeah, maybe even without a human doing cargo, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a safer way to start. But but just because that works doesn't mean it would work in Moscow or Mumbai, right? And that's the thing that really warps predicting when this is going to roll out to most people because. You know, for my parents who are in Montana, I don't think many self-driving car companies are focusing on Bozeman, Montana as a deployment center. And I don't think they're focusing a lot on the wintry, cold, icy conditions. So they may be some of the last people in Montana to get self-driving cars because level four doesn't have to do that. It doesn't have to work in Montana for it to still be useful. Yeah, I, I mean, I would argue as someone who grew up in a winter environment, if, if the car just realized that the weather was inclement and it, if, if it was bad weather and just slowed itself down, it would actually be much better than most human drivers. Well, that's the funny thing. Yeah. I mean, what it's going to do is, it, and so, so people will say, well, what happens if the, like the um, environmental factors change and like a big rainstorm happens? Well, apparently the Waymo vehicles, if a huge rainstorm starts happening, the sensors will detect it, detect that it's not safe in its current operational design constraints, and it will pull over or even, and wait I it mean, out. Even just driving like half the speed or something would be so much safer than humans who just like trudge along. True, but that's the thing. It's like if you and I were trying to design one of these systems and make sure it was safe, what would you do if we hadn't tested in deep, crazy rain yet? You'd just be like, "Well, that's a edge case. Nope, sure. stop. Not going to operate." Yeah. Well, and in some parts of so the that's country what they're too, doing. You, they're like actually for humans, the safest thing to do in certain levels of rain is to pull right. over, right? Like in Florida, and and certainly when thunderstorms roll through New England too. Sometimes you just have to pull over because you literally can't see anything. 
Yeah. And sometimes I've driven in the fog and I'm like, I really can't see anything. I should pull over, but you're driving and you're just like, yeah, sometimes you just don't even consider that as an option, but these vehicles will just not operate. They won't go. And that's why the ride sharing is so perfect for this because you don't have to pick up the next marginal customer, the next customer, uh, if it's too late or it's raining, you just don't send out the vehicles at that time. Uh, but if you own the car, you, you can't like, it'd be very hard if you own the vehicle for it to say, sorry, I'm not going to drive you. And you're like, wait, I bought this car, but I don't have a license. What, what are you telling me? You're not going to drive me? Like that is going to be a much bigger challenge. And why I think so few car companies are actually going to sell cars that are level four. Tesla will, but many car companies won't sell them to consumers. Most people's access, in my view, will be only through this ride sharing type experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you, you also have to remember that like, you know, we, you do see on the news occasionally like, you know, 10, 20, 30, hundred car pileups because people can't see in the fog, but they keep driving cause they're all like YOLO. And, you know, I can normally drive down this road and people operate when they shouldn't be operating and we're just accustomed to it. Right. Like everyone has seen that on the news, this big pileup with all these cars and, you know, that's not some sort of like natural phenomenon where the earth did something that caused all these cars to collide, right? Like it's people just charged ahead when they should not have been because they couldn't physically see. Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, yeah, in that Waymo report, one of the things that was really striking was like 84% of crashes <clears throat> are due to like five conditions. One is not stopping for the car in front of you. <laughs> well, that... One is running off the road. Um, another is turning left into traffic unsafe, like in a, you know, turning left. So you get hit turning left. Um, and then I think another one was, uh, you know, getting rear ended by a car, which is a funny one. Cause like, it's basically the same as yeah. the first. <laughs> um, and then I can't remember the fifth, I didn't write it down, but anyways, basically there's, there's like a relatively small set of conditions. And so Waymo says like, oh, we've just designed many, many testing uh, procedures to test for these. Oh, um, uh, I think it's changing lanes on the highway was the mm. other one, um, where people get hit. You know what gets me uh, all the time other. is so growing up in more like urban type environments, like when I think of a dive bar, I think of this little place uh, that you walk to and you know it's on the corner in the neighborhood or something, and you know everyone stumbles out afterwards. But for when I drive around and visit relatives in other parts of the country, dive bars are these little like self standing like self buildings with parking lots and people like drive to them and there's no designated driver system. There's all these people driving their own vehicles to these dive bars, drinking at the dive bar all night and then driving home. And it's yeah. like, there's so many establishments scattered throughout the United States that have like parking lots and they're just facilities for drinking. And it, it blows my mind that this is something that we're okay with. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like you're asking for DUIs and, and accidents. Right. How, I mean, even like granting a license for someone to have a bar that isn't accessible by sidewalk is like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of these things that once the self-driving vehicles become more permeated, so I guess in the 2030, 2040 timeframe, we're going to look back and say, wait, why did we put parking lots in bars? I mean, this is crazy. Like, why is was there was not a breathalyzer on the vehicle or any number of, of these things? It just seemed, it just seems so obvious and insane. Yeah, I think one of the things that is so striking to me about all of this is as much as some people are very excited about self-driving vehicles, and I'm certainly one of them, that almost no one has been in one of these vehicles yet, even though there's been tons of press written about them. And the, the vast, I think almost all of them still have safety drivers currently that may be changing very soon uh, in a few areas where new, uh, some, some of these companies like Waymo may be allowing people to drive without the safety driver. Oh yeah, Waymo did the thing in Austin last year with the blind yeah. man. Yeah, but there's still there's still like that was a very protected one, but to do it on a day-to-day -day basis still hasn't fully happened and it should be happening soon. That um we still have quite a long way to really even realize the very beginning of what this technology is going to do and it's it's super exciting, but I think uh like almost all tech 
hype cycles, we're, we're gonna, we're still in the upward swing and we're going to hit the trough of sorrow <laughs> probably in the next couple of years, because there'll be some deployments where you can get a, you know, self-driving Uber or Lyft or Waymo or Voyage or something, uh, in certain areas, most people won't have access to them. They were, they, as they actually have real passengers, they're going to be spending tons of time actually deploying it and improving it. Tesla will slowly be hitting this target of getting towards more and more uh, partial autonomy and full autonomy. But as because they're testing it on such a large geographic area, I mean, they expected within three months of launching Autopilot 2, it would be at the same level as Autopilot 1. And we're almost more than 12 months later. <laughs> And it's still not there. So it's a 4x delta. That's how we do uh, estimates it, in the software world, Caleb. Overly optimistic. Well, that ba that's balloons a two-year time frame to eight. So, so Hyundai might be a little closer with their estimate. Right. So I, I would just caution people that um, as much as I genuinely believe Tesla will achieve very high levels of autonomy and you know, is going to keep pushing as hard as they can to get to full autonomy. I don't think it's as if it's impossible. It's just more and more time and energy actually de devoted to it, that it's going to take a lot of years to get there. And buying a vehicle may not be your fastest path to getting into one of these vehicles. And that one of your fastest paths may be moving to a city like San Francisco or uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> or uh, needing to like move freight on the interstate highway in the United States. Those are two that I feel quite confident will happen in the next couple yeah. of years. Uh, and then everything else is just like highway driving, I think will be quite automated. Uh, you will probably still need to like be in the front seat. Yeah, I think that's, you won't be able to fall asleep, pitch, but, but that'll still be right. huge. I think that's a pitch that you can sell to people, right? Like, Hey, we're driving the kids to Disneyland and we get on the highway and I push the button and over the next seven hours, the car drives itself. And then I take over once we get to, you know, within a couple of miles of Anaheim or something. Yeah. And I, I do think it will start with people having to be fully attentive like Tesla and then they may get to a level where they're very confident that you don't need to be involved um, within a few years. But it's just questionable to me whether or not they're going to push on that thread or pull on that thread rather first, like to get to that level where you fully don't have to be involved or do they sort of toggle back and forth between some of like the city stuff with, with lights and stop signs and roundabouts and highway where you're paying attention the whole way or if they go fully self-driving on highways and then go to cities. I'm not quite sure which way they're going to go the, from Tesla's point of view. I think the, the highway one seems like the stronger marketing angle to me because uh, yeah, it seems yeah. like there's less caveats, right? Like with the city, I imagine there's a lot of caveats and it, it makes it more of a difficult story to sell. But this idea of the highways being the autonomous zone, I think that's a, a very concrete thing that people can can buy into especially with tesla where it can actually automatically take you to superchargers as well um yeah like, yeah that that seems i don't know i i think marketing wise that seems like a a, a pitch that could uh, easily appeal to the current car buying demographic yeah so in closing i would just say that uh you don't need to really worry too much about level five except for people's ambition to achieve complete human level driving but it doesn't functionally have any relevance today level four is the place where companies who want to say they will have no human driver can take refuge except for the fact that they can define that criteria as tightly as they as they want and still be technically correct which will upset people on the internet <laughs> well so be i mean prepared. that's gonna happen anyways that will happen anyways but be prepared that there will be people who say we have a fully self-driving car that works in our uh corporate headquarters and like that's a small print but they will be technically correct it is a level four car but a level four car is not synonymous with every other level four car like they're not comparable right. i think it's the important Regional. thing each system and each designer gets to choose how so it, it works. kind of it brings up the interesting idea of there may be being like regional vehicles where like, you know, I guess you for yeah, a long I mean, time there's been like California emission vehicles where like California has a slightly different uh, like or 
or I guess California has kind of forced this on the rest of the country, but yeah, California has different emission standards. Uh, but yeah, you could imagine like, you know, you might buy a vehicle for a certain region of the country or region of the world. Well, like I think Newtonomy, which is a pretty big uh, self-driving player, they're based in Boston. And so they test in Boston right. and uh, I don't think Uber or Lyft are testing in Boston. Well, so it's possible like the, that the world's worst torture test for a self-driving vehicle, I imagine. But yeah. Yeah. And so if, it may be possible that you'll have a self-driving test in Boston as a passenger, but it will only be with an autonomy vehicle and not others. And so that that's going to be the interesting um I mean, do they have to have like thing between Lyft and Uber and all those is like they they no one of them necessarily will be able to roll out their software to all their cities, and so they will very strategically have to choose which cities to roll out to, and and that may have a very big impact on their existing business in that right. city, which is kind of different. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're getting into sort of like rollouts at that point, like yeah, yeah. It's going, it's going to be quite sporadic and staged and different companies will have different cities sort of locked up where like, oh, Las Vegas is where you use this app and this other city is you use this app because that company has better self-driving in that city. So that's going to be kind of this patchwork of companies that you actually use for ride sharing. Um, and then like owned vehicles way further later, like it's just so much further. It behind. makes you wonder too, like, Except is there highway. any sort of. Uh, coming from the other direction too is there something where municipalities might actually offer like public domain high resolution maps of their you know municipality uh and that like you know everyone could then tie into that and like why would it be car specific like maybe las vegas has a open las vegas api mapping system and all cars can like tie into it yeah, I mean, I certainly think that the cities have a very strong incentive to invite all the car makers. And that's why some like cities in Arizona have been doing this is they they want to be the place where this is happening and have both the jobs coming and have their citizens have access to it. One interesting thing besides just the maps, though, that causes the problems is uh, like one example from the Waymo report was that um, in Arizona, they had the um, horizontal um uh, horizontal lights and they, we don't have those here in California. And so (laughs) that caused some challenges. And so this, even if you take the exact same software from California and you give it this, a map in the same format, it doesn't mean it would necessarily work. And then like, uh, on, in like Boston and New York, different rules around how people behave at stop signs and stop lights and and some of this different sort of behavioral aspects need to be trained. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, even given like the same uh, map system and clean like rules of the road, the actual dynamics of how that city works uh, seem like they, they quite they, they very currently need to validate and work hard in each city. So um, it's exciting times for sure. But the uh, don't let the levels confuse you now. <laughs> Hopefully you have a very clear understanding of what those different levels mean and uh, level four is important and level two are important. Level three is sort of a trick. Yes. It's a trick. It's a trap. It's a trap. All right. So if any of you are planning on buying a Tesla uh, or, you know, Model S or Model X and want to save $1,000 or get free supercharging, you can use our referral code, which is uh, courtesy of the Tesla Geeks. Um, we are pretty confident we're going to be going to the uh, semi event uh, when it comes out. Thanks to them. And so thanks to you for uh, using their code. So it's in the show notes and you get $1,000 off and free supercharging. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with us and share their thoughts of how all this is going to shape up, where can they yeah, do that, Mike? you can Mike? tweet at us on uh, twitter.com. At, we are at The Tesla Show. Uh, we have a website at thetesla.show.com. And we are also on Reddit at r slash The Tesla Show. Uh, let us know what you think about your levels. What's your favorite level? Which level would you buy a car at? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next All time, right, Mike. Bye. Bye.